Welcome to the Founders Foyer with me, Ashwarya. This foyer is full of conversations. The space where creators, founders, and builders look for all the support and concepts to grow their ideas into products. There's so much joy in being able to think clearly, whether it's cracking a tough decision or understanding a complex concept or even letting go of confusions. When creating and shipping stuff, it's very important to retrospect on what's holding us away from this clarity of thought. And the biggest plus is being able to do this with a trusted community, getting to know each other's perspectives and intellectually gaining our knowledge. And today's chat is going to be all about that. Before we go into the episode, let's hear it from our first sponsor. Hilton Public Fellowship is a wet community and a six-week cohort-based course designed by KB to help ambitious founders and creators accelerate their build-in public journey together with strong accountability, supportive community, and hands-on mentorship from KP himself. The fellowship is a global melting pot of members from world-class accelerators like Y Combinator and OnDeck, bootstrap founders with over $20K monthly revenue, professionals from companies like Google and Goldman Sachs, all committed to launching or growing their projects in public. You'll be surrounded by fellows who've launched a podcast, started and exited multiple companies, built a newsletter or Twitter audience of hundreds of thousands of people online. And they'll have your back just as you share your journey and build in public fearlessly. I was a part of the second cohort and I absolutely loved it. I got to meet so many creators. I got to build alongside with them and share my journey go through fireside chats, taking lessons from KP and also other creators from across the world who shipped amazing stuff. I highly recommend it. And there are scholarships as well. It only has limited seats. So apply ASAP at buildinpublicfellowship.com. I have Anlaw Lekonf with me. Anlaw is founder of Nest Labs, a learning community over 50,000 makers. She's a neuroscientist, educator, and soon-to-be author. She writes and speaks about mindful productivity and encourages founders and builders to derive first principles in thinking. And it's so good to have her back after long conversations I had with her like about a year ago. Hi, Anlar. Hey, it's so great to be back. I know, so many stories to discover and I'm very glad that you're back on the show. I think I keep saying this often to a lot of my friends as well. I really take inspiration in what you've done with Nest Labs. So I think we've got a lot of good stories to discuss in today's chat. I'm excited. Awesome. So, you know, why don't we start with your journey into entrepreneurship? So it involved you being a neuroscientist and educator and now being a full-time founder. So what instances led you into this path? My first job was in tech, working at Google, where I started working first in London and then moved to San Francisco. My last role before I left Google was on the digital health team. So I was working on products that were the equivalent to the Apple Watch and Apple Health, but for Google. So Android Wear and Google Fit. And I was helping with marketing and partnerships. So just trying to get these products in as many hands as possible and doing that through collaborations with creators, athletes, and experts. Mm. I loved my time at Google. I loved the people there. I loved the projects. But I felt like I knew exactly what steps I had to take to go on the 
kind of like the next ladder in my career. And it just felt like this very linear climb where I just had to follow a recipe step by step. And I knew exactly what success would look like in a few years if I did everything correctly. And somehow that made me lose all of my interest in it. It was a mix of burnout and maybe a little bit of bore out as well, where mm -hmm. I just felt disconnected from the work. So I left and I worked on a couple of startups, but they didn't work out for me. The first one, I broke up with my co-founder. The second one, we didn't have product market fit. And we stayed really good friends with my co-founder. So at least I got that out of it, even if the startup didn't work out. And then I was completely lost because suddenly I didn't have the next ladder in front of me. I just the the next rod on the ladder in front of me. Mm -hmm. So I asked myself what I would be interested in, even if money and success were out of the equation. For me, it was neuroscience. So I went back to school. I was 28 at the time, went back to university with a bunch of much younger people to study how the brain works. I did that for my master's degree. And I decided to work about, to write about that journey online in a mm. little newsletter. So that was the beginning of Nest Labs, basically, which started as a little newsletter where every week I would write about everything I was learning about the brain applied to mm. things I was interested in, like creativity, mindful productivity, et cetera. And after I did my master's, I liked it so much that I decided to pursue research, like proper research in a lab and doing a PhD in neuroscience, which I'm completing right now. So that's where I'm at at the moment. I still run Nest Labs, which has gone from being a tiny newsletter to being a little bit like a bigger newsletter now. Yeah. <laughs> it, it also has a private community where people can connect together instead of just reading what I write. And yeah. I doing my PhD and I'm writing a book. So yeah, that's for... <laughs> Awesome. And you know, you said you're going to keep it short, but I think with whatever you told, there's like so many directions we can take. And I'm so curious. So I think first off, what I really love about the journey that you shared is the fact that you took what was more what people would call is very controversial or a very unconventional path, because I think you followed your curiosity. And that's something that most high agency folks would be able to relate with. And I, I think what, what was really coming out well is how there's a difference between what people call as discipline and what is actually a gravitational pull towards your um, curiosity. So I think whatever becomes very rote and just becomes more like a routine every day that you said would probably not suit um, creative thinkers who are looking out for the next best thing to do. So I'm glad that you shared also the fact that it was not always like a pinky path and it was not like very easy to just say, oh, my first startup worked out and I did really great and here's what it is. And most of us face that interpersonal, you know, issues or problems with co-founders. So I think in our previous chat as well, I remember how we had a detailed discussion about what it means like to fall apart from your co-founder and why it's totally okay to be picking up from where you leave and, and start of you know, do a, a rather different focus on a, another startup. So I think you've brought out very good points and very practical points for a lot of people who are currently working on projects. So, 
and don't be so humble come on nest labs is like so huge now and i i'm i i really love looking at it because i remember being one of those first few followers when you just started the newsletter to now seeing where it's actually come across and this trusted community that you've been having it's heartening so yeah super pumped up Thank you so much. And thanks for following my work since the very beginning. It just, I don't know, it's like, it's really nice that there are readers and community members that have really been part of this journey with the ups and the downs and the experiments and trying to figure out what exactly Nest Labs would be. And it's still mm -hmm. a work in progress. And as you were saying, I think it's really important to acknowledge the fact that there is no perfect recipe that you can apply and that will work for everyone. I'm always a little bit worried when people say, here's the steps that you need to follow to be successful because what worked for one person may not work for another person. What worked yesterday may not work tomorrow. And even your definition of success mm. may vary through, uh, through time, even with the same person. What I thought success looked like 10 years ago is not the same thing I think success looks Absolutely. like today. So I think it's yeah. good to yeah, be honest about that and hmm. keep on experimenting and, and acknowledging the fact that whatever you're working on is, is a work in progress. Yeah, absolutely agree with you. And I think we had Alexis Gay, the comedian, on the show a couple of uh, months ago. And what she said, and, you know, we have this discussion around how to reframe goals and make it very specific to what you want. Because exactly like you said, what success looks like for you might not be very similar to me. And the whole point of me starting the Founders for you is also very similar to uh, what we're discussing. Just take those thought patterns and get perspectives from around different people. But at the end of the day, use some of those for your own judgment. So it's a way to help you think better, but not like say, here's the five step rule to grow your business to 10x times. And I think that's really not going to work out. So uh, yeah, it's a very, very you know, important reality that most of us as builders should be looking into. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. And yeah, it's great that with, with this podcast, you're giving space to other entrepreneurs and makers to have this kind of honest, open conversations about these topics. So thank you. Awesome. Yeah. So getting a little more into how you kickstarted Nest Labs and how you're just trying to complete pursuing PhD. What I see here is the common goal to get some of the thinkers like us together. And we are, like I mentioned before, we are very high agency folks. We love shipping things out. So it naturally means that all of this learning would have a bias for action and you know, make people share those learnings with the others in the community. So what are some practices from your experience that you've seen uh, to transition from being just a collector of information to actually being a creator of information? I think it's mostly about making sure that you balance your input with your output. Mm -hmm. A lot of people don't realize it, but they spend most of their time consuming content from other people in a passive manner. That can be reading blog posts or newsletters or scrolling on Twitter or on Instagram, listening to podcasts, etc. And I think the first very small step that people can take is being a little bit more generative, a little bit more active when they're doing these things. Mm -hmm. That can be as simple as taking a few notes and maybe sharing them with 
a friend on WhatsApp and just saying, hey, I listened to this podcast and these are the three things I thought were the most interesting in that podcast and sharing them with them. Or it could mm. be writing a tweet uh, about something that you just read. Basically just becoming an agent and making sure that you are adding to the conversation and that you are being generative and practicing the this act of creation. And so for me, that's the very first step and that's a simple step. And if you want to stop there, that's perfectly fine. I think for a lot of people, that's actually enough. And if you like it, because you may realize that you really like this process of digesting information and reframing it and connecting those ideas with other stuff that you've read about or listened to before, you can then kind of like picking up a notch by maybe mm. starting like I did a little newsletter. It has become a lot easier in the past few years to do this. You can just create a Substack account or on ConvertKit or MailChimp. Like it takes a few clicks and you just have your newsletter. You can, you know, start a little YouTube channel. Maybe where once every few weeks you do a little vlog where you explain some of the ideas that you've come across and that you think are mm. interesting. I've even seen people create Notion dashboards with some of the principles that they've read about and that people can then add to their own Notion database or other people creating quick PDF eBooks and putting them on Gumroad. So there's so many different mm. things that you can do and so many different ways that you can be a creator nowadays. So if you find that this process of creation and of education is something that you enjoy, you can then start experimenting with different mediums and different channels and try and see if you can find your little tribe of people who are also interested in the same topics and then just take it from there. Right. Yeah, very, very practical in terms of getting started. And to me, it sounds more like these practices are not just in terms of creation, but I think they're also the best ways to reflect on what you've just learned because you spoke about a lot of input sources and the way that we consume information. And at times... I, I know I've read the fact that our brains don't hold information always at the right times that we want to immediately retrieve. So it means that there should be easier ways to record this. There should be easier ways to digest and sort of process what we've just went through. So most of the practical examples that you stated now, if not for, you know, like creation immediately, at least it's the best way to reflect on what we've just learned and what we uh, exposed ourselves to. And eventually... I think it gets like how you did Nest Labs. It started as a simple newsletter, as a collection of uh, things that you've been learning yourself at um, your class and just getting that out and making it a whole community right now. I think that that idea of it sounds extremely good, like starting at small scale, but using that method to eventually find the tribe of people, eventually get more and better at, at you know creativity. So I, I think it's, it's, it's very important. Yeah, and then it's, it's exactly how I started my newsletter, the phenomenon that you described of try of understanding and remembering information better when you create your own mm. version of it is called the generation effect. And this is exactly what I was trying to do when I started writing my newsletter, just taking all of that information that I had to consume as a student, connecting it with other ideas that I found interesting outside of school and creating my own version of it to share mm. with the world. 
But even if you remove the last part of sharing it with the world, the simple mm. act of creating your own version of something is going to make you engage more with it and you're going to be more likely to understand it at a deeper level, but also remember it better. Mm. So even without sharing, this is a good practice to have. Right. Yeah, I think building in public definitely starts with first building, which is like trying to get yourself out there even when the world is not watching you and then and then go public in terms of like using that learning to be shared with the others. In fact, this brings me up to the reverse uh, point of this question, which is now that we're talking about a lot of different ways like Substack, podcast, community, newsletter, so, so many ways for people to get started with. But sometimes it's so daunting as well, right? Because when we, when, uh, let's say I happen to know that I enjoy this creating process and I like putting my content out there. At times there's this question about, should I really do it? Or, you know, is, is there something that's stopping me from doing it? So just reversing the question to what are some signs you think might not make you extremely ready for getting into that creator journey? Have you seen such examples in the past? Like anytime that you advise not putting it out in public or, you know, sort of the contrary to the question that we just discussed? I mean, except if you're working on something that is really secret, like a trade secret for your startup <laughs> or something like this, I have a quite a hard time to come up with examples where sharing your work with the world is a bad idea. We're, we're very worried sometimes that someone is going to steal our ideas, but I think mm. this is based on the misconception that ideas are unique and they really aren't it's very likely that someone has had the idea that you're having right now before what you can bring to the table though is the connection between that idea and your personal experience that's what that what makes it interesting and that's mm. that's what is worth sharing with other people and this is what creates an arena for interesting conversations so if again to me I would say if you enjoy the process, then do it. If mm. you don't, not everyone does. Not everyone enjoys creating content, sharing it with the world, sharing their ideas, being part of those wider global communities on the internet. I'm not saying mm. it's for everyone. So yeah, to answer your question, if there are cases outside of the very specific niche case of you have a very super secret idea that maybe you mm -hmm. want patent or something like this, which I don't think is going right. to be the case for many listeners. Uh, the only reason why you it would be a bad idea to share content online and share your ideas online is if you don't enjoy the process. In that case, don't force yourself. And there are so right. many other ways to be creative. You don't have to use that mm -hmm. one. Right. So yeah, I think it's uh, first to see if you derive joy from it. And the second one, of course, is does this make you do more of it? And uh, I think you made a very uh, valid point in terms of not just sharing the idea per se, but building layers on top with your own narrative by combining it what you experience and what what is really your take in it. So I think that's extremely important from the angle of 
I guess this whole stealing idea thing is is definitely there out where you know when somebody says, "Oh, I think I had this idea," people always look at it from a very negative lens, right? It's like, "Oh my God, I had that idea!" And look at them; they're doing this. But instead, I think the best part is to say, "Oh my God, I had this idea," and it's so good that they're able to take an action towards it and sort of use that to see where you can bridge yourself the next time. So uh, I think it's, it's like you said. it falls back to what is the narrative that you want to build around the idea or what you see out around you and use that as a leverage to enter the creative journey yeah absolutely i agree with you yeah awesome so now that we're talking about um, growth and uh, how do you get started as a creator in this journey i uh, recently chanced upon one of your tweets where you spoke about um, this controversial take again which is like where do you see yourself in 5 years uh being sort of a very depressing question right and it's a definitely contrarian thinking i would say and i agree a lot with that because there are times that when i have raised this question with people saying oh my god i don't think that's like the right question though it gets asked in a lot of interviews gets asked in uh, literally any peer circle that that you professionally work with like seeing yourself in the next couple of years so what's your take on how people especially creative people who work on some innovative ideas should look at signs of growth if not for where do you see yourself in 5 years i think it's more important to conduct a lot of shorter term experiments than to have the to maintain the illusion of control by creating this 5 year plan that is never going to come to fruition and if it did come to fruition again would be quite depressing if she knew exactly where you're going to end up in 5 years mm. what's the point then you already know where you're going nobody would play video games if they knew exactly step by step what they had to do to win the game what makes it fun is that you don't know and that you have to discover that path for yourself while playing the game so instead of creating those plans and having those five your try type of strategies and visions that we have and that we tell recruiters that where we of course we know exactly where we we want to go i think it's a, it's a lot more not only practical but also better in terms of personal growth to just keep on experimenting and so what i would tell people is just to try something new commit to it for long enough that you can see results and depending on the project sometimes a couple of weeks is enough sometimes you need 3 months for me for writing online i did a first 3 month experiment 100 days but basically just design an experiment de- mm. decide on the number of trials go through it and then decide if you like it if you want to ramp it up if you want to just stop doing it if you want to tweak it a little bit like um a scientist de- designs experiments and runs them and then decides what to do next to maybe answer more questions or maybe realizing that it's a dead end and that you need to go back to the protocol and start from scratch so a little bit like a scientist just asking those questions designing experiments and learning from them because if you do this as long as you learn something from the experiment there's no failure Mm. growth is just learning growth is knowing more about yourself and the world today than you did yesterday and again going back to that question of where do you see yourself in 5 years 
if you were able to perfectly predict where where you are in five years, it means that you haven't really grown because it means that you're relying on your present day imagination to know where you're going in five years. You mm -hmm. want to look back and feel like, wow, I could have not imagined that. That's where you want to go. Yeah, I can totally resonate with this. And no wonder that, you know, I keep telling folks about at least with the years passing by, this question seems to be more of a ridiculous one, especially when it's asked in circles where, you know, you you clearly stand out as an outlier where you have reframed your own goals and you have sort of this willingness to experiment and do newer things. And then when people ask you, oh, so but you know, where's where's exactly the path going forward? Like where do you see yourself in five years? I think this is this is so important that when you look at the five years in a very straightforward way I think you will also not spot the opportunities around uh, I love how you mentioned when you look back you would really not believe the fact that you did x number of things and I think when you're just looking at a very very stereotypical way forward there are chances that you will miss out on those opportunities which are like on the sides and you just don't see them around but you just see straight and look at what you want to go which may or may not be very helpful so yeah I think for me, I totally resonated with what you said because it's exactly, I think, what I've followed myself in the journey. It just came to me much later in time that, yeah, well, I don't I don't really go by this question. But of course, I think all of us would have gone through the phase where we tried ourselves to plan out or chart out like a very clear strategy of what we want to do and say, in 10 years, I see myself here. In, in three years, I want to do this. And, and I think that non-linearity eventually kicks in if you are uh, a creative thinker and, and if you actually follow a passion based on creativity and based on curiosity rather than a very charted out plan, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's also how you connect with interesting people and how you find an interesting community. Because again, if you only seek people that feel like they're going to be useful for the current path you're on, you're just going mm -hmm. to keep on learning about things that you kind of know about already. Whereas if you're open-minded and curious and willing to explore different paths, different communities, different groups of people, you increase the chances you, that you will find opportunities that you could not imagine before. You kind of increase serendipity in your life when you do this. So, yeah, I, I am a big proponent of just keeping <laughs> it quite open and explorative. And that means for projects, but also for people. Right. And do you have, of course, I think building Nest Labs in itself is sort of the serendipitous way that led you from a newsletter to a community. But are there like other parts of your uh, work or your life? where you thought that being open and not really sticking out with a, a standard five-year plan or a 10-year plan really worked out, like some instances that would just come in and tie in with your current experiences? I mean, a big one was probably just going back to school. That was definitely not what people expected from me at the time. <laughs> so that, and, and especially going back to school without a clear plan, for what mm. I would do with the degree afterwards. I just, yeah, went back to school. I was freelancing at the time. That's how I was making money. And 
the plan was just to see what happens, basically, just to see <laughs> if I if I liked it. I I always tell people just you know don't do anything stupid either when it comes with mo to money. Just make sure that you're financially secure enough, mm. even though very often you need a lot less than what you think to be financially secure. We all have a lot of anxiety around it, or at least many people do have a lot of anxiety around money. And very often you realize that if you're if you really want to explore a new path, mm. you can figure out ways to change your lifestyle a little bit. So money is not so much of an issue. So don't just quit everything with zero way of making money. Like don't follow like that kind of like follow your passion, just quit everything and just jump and try this thing which can be quite dangerous, but equally don't necessarily save money for 15 years until you decide to mm. go and try something new. There's a right balance to find here. So yeah, just make sure that you'll be able to keep a roof on your head and to put food on the table and, and enough nice things to keep you happy and experiences, but then you can go and experiment. There are many companies nowadays that allow you to take a sabbatical even so you can make it low risk to run a little experiment and to escape that five-year plan kind of thinking just break that cycle for a little bit and if after that mm -hmm. experiment you're like actually I I just really liked my job at my company and this is where I see myself growing then it's still there you can go back to it so there are lots of ways to do this but yeah I would say that for me going back to school was probably one of the the most experimental decisions that I made mm -hmm. at the time just to go and study something that was completely different from my previous field of studies and with no particular plan as to what I would do with the degree afterwards. Right. And I think it's definitely all fallen in place looking back at how this turned out and uh, going well with the question of not, not just looking at a five-year plan, but I think yeah, it's quite a jump from being in the corporate space to to actually going to school and then now doing something that's very very I would say in line with what you learn but also like very new in all senses so so yeah I've got like a you know couple of follow-up questions from there because I think we spoke a lot in terms of goal setting in terms of community so let's let's go them one by one so first with respect to the goal setting part because now we say that the whole five-year thing is just um, not going to work out for creative thinkers so with the way that our careers in our society have just like come across in terms of a linear way of success I think what you and I are talking about is is the non-linear way where you figure out what's really working for you do those small scientific experiments and craft your own path so there's something called liminality where our minds are so adaptive and there's always a way that um, you come up with what works for you at the moment and see where the path takes you. So this means the linear way of goal setting is just completely transformed into like a circular model. So talk to us about how one can reinvent goals and keep the journey going forward. Yes, so the, the word liminal comes from limen in Latin, which means threshold. and it really means a good way to, to translate it would be when you find yourself in transition or at the doorstep of change. And I think mm. when we cling on to those linear five-year plans, we have, again, this uh, misconception that life is this very predictable journey 
with milestones and steps that you're supposed to follow. And it is true to some extent that it used to be in a society where we had very rigid codes to follow in terms of what success looked like. So, you know, you were supposed to start a family, maybe buy a house and like climb the career ladder, um, save enough money to be able to send your kids to college, etc. So this very kind of like simple but universal in, in some societies versions of success and obviously different countries have different versions of this but you knew what success looked like and even though the exact details would vary between people you had those big milestones and that's not really the case anymore and so it's when you think about liminality is really thinking about the fact that your entire life is a giant liminal space you're always in transition. You never really know where you're going next. And you can either feel completely paralyzed when you find yourself in this space of the unknown, in this space of transition, or you can enjoy it. You can see it as a giant playground that is ripe for creativity where you can define what success looks like for you because nobody has defined it for, for yourself. So you have this freedom, which can be scary because nobody's here to tell you, hey, this is what success looks like. And those are the steps mm. that you're supposed to follow. This is the checklist. Those are the milestones. You don't have anybody who's here to tell you this. So it's scary because it feels like you're on your own. But it also means that you can rebuild your own tribe, your own community, and you can define your own goals as well and even better you don't even have to stick to the same goals all the time you can pick a goal see if that works for you and if that's not the case you can keep on reinventing yourself and reinventing your ambitions as you go and keeping on experimenting again you're in perpetual transition and it doesn't mm. have to be scary it can be exciting yeah i think it's also based on the lens that you see it with in terms of like if it's if it's all dynamic and if it's all ever changing it's either the fact that you're constantly you're reinventing yourself or like you said it's like looking at it as oh my gosh it's it's just so uncertain as opposed to yeah well it's uncertain but i think it's also like trying to give a new version of me and you know like a newer sense of learning for the self so yeah it's it's all with the lens that we see yes yeah so have have you like helped somebody sort of reinvent their goals? Because let's say we're talking about a community where so many folks come together and all of us have different patterns of thinking and we have our own fears and we have our own insecurities. So for a typical conversation that happens in the community, in Neslab's community every day, where do you think these kind of reinventing goals have really helped out people? And have you been actually a part of helping folks sort of look at it from very different lens um yeah so in the nest labs community we've had quite a few members actually start running little experiments together so i actually just got invited to another podcast which was started by two members of the nest labs community who met in the wow. nest labs community, which is which was really cool to see so yeah we've all i've always encouraged people to connect and try new things together mm. we have people in the community who again today got an email from someone saying hey 
I want to start re-engaging with the community a little bit more. So I want to run a one-month experiment and do co-working sessions for the Nest Labs community. And it's great. It's just a one-month experiment. We're going to see what it looks like. But I just love that spirit of trying new things in, mm. di in different ways. I think another way I've seen people do that in the Nest Labs community is having side projects. So again, mm. instead of just quitting your job and making that very risky decision, you can just do a bunch of little experiments on the side and see if there's anything that you really like. And for some people, mm. the side project is so enjoyable and so successful that they do end up quitting their, their main job. But it doesn't even have to be the goal for that. It's just to learn about yourself and learn about the world again. And if in that process, you discover a successful business, that's even better. So those are some of the ways I've seen people embrace this mindset in the SLAPS community. Very cool. And these are like very low-key stuff that you can do to yourself, more like making it more like a self-improvement exercise and given into that journey. And then once you find that you're in a flow, I think the most uh, satisfying part for me, uh, which I could relate a lot with even in the podcast is meeting fellow people and uh, like you and me sitting together in the show. I think I love the fact that I get to meet uh, a lot of these amazing thinkers across the globe and uh, share what we've you know, gone through in our own journeys. And I think I, I can only imagine how satisfying it should be for the folks on the community, trying to brainstorm with each other, trying to uh, work with each other on uh, very cool projects. And also, I, I think use each other's experiences as a very, you know, important step or a milestone in learning to see with a very, very different approach, right? Because oftentimes, I, I find that we have a very singular form of thinking. But when it's, when it's, augmented by others who are around and added from their perspectives it's definitely very very helpful yeah i i think it's inherently human to learn mm -hmm. better and grow faster when you connect with other people i mean that's why we love books so much that's why now we have podcasts and people watch so many billions of hours of YouTube videos, we have this inherent need to connect with each other and to learn from each other. So you're always going to learn faster, again, both about yourself and about the world, if you do that through connection with other people, rather than just doing it on your own. And even people who say, I'm kind of a solo thinker, I do this on, on my own. I'm like, yeah, you're reading books you're literally having conversations <laughs> with authors that may be long dead now but what you're doing is having conversations with them you know if except if you're really living in an ivory tower not reading anything not listening <laughs> to anything not having any conversations you are absolutely doing collaborative creative work yeah yeah I think it's no longer about meeting people or like sitting face to face in real time to even say, okay, that's what a uh, building relationship looks like. Because uh, like you said, rightly, just reading books, it's I think it's the most beautiful form of letting ideas flow through you, reading newsletters or listening to podcasts. All of these little activities on the internet has really made the fact that connecting with people, uh, and, and to me, I always look at it as connecting different minds together as 
one of the easiest ways as opposed to how it used to be before, which is like in real time sessions and just like having a lot of, you know, step stones and trying to achieve that. But I think now we've come a very uh, long way in, in being able to do it very easily. Yeah, no, that's amazing. It's really a great time to be alive. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a very nice way to put it. And I love how Arvid Kal, one of my favorite creators, I think he calls what you're building. And I think that's the most beautiful form of putting Nest Labs as clarity of thought turned into a community. So it's a, it's like a great one-liner messaging, I guess, that you can use and like for folks to easily understand what you're building. Uh, yeah, I love Arvid. I love his work. And I love how he he often comes up with a better way to describe what I'm thinking about. Every time I have a conversation <laughs> with him on Twitter, he will like sometimes just say, oh yeah, it's that. I'm like, yes, it's exactly that thing I've been rambling about for five minutes in three different <laughs> tweets. He just writes one sentence that captures exactly the essence of what I'm trying to say. He's such a great thinker and a great writer. And I'm so grateful that he's part of our little corner of the internet absolutely and i think that's what great thinking could really help us do right in terms of condensing our thoughts getting getting our uh, communication way better and i think that's that's definitely one uh, nicest part of being live on the internet building in public and getting access to so many people across so yeah and since we're talking about this group thinking one question that i have on law is we focus a lot on individuality, but we are also humans. So we take each other's experiences to learn and, and connect our thoughts better. But how could someone find this safe space in a community without being influenced by the bias of this group thinking? Because there's a clear difference between taking inspiration or getting that perspective from another person as opposed to not falling into the group thinking bucket. So how do you balance that out in the community? Ideally, I think you want to try and join communities that value divergent thinking. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that that's necessarily easy to find. I am pretty proud of the fact that Nest Labs is one of them. I have a friend called Anna Gatt who created a community called The Interintellect, which I think also highly yes. values divergent thinking. Another friend called Paul Millard has a community called Find the Others. And I think it's also going to be a lot of people who are on what he calls the pathless path. So mm. also people who are who highly value divergent thinking. So it, it may have been that a few decades ago, it would have been really hard to find those people. But thanks to the internet, it's a lot easier these days. And if you join these communities, it's going to be a lot easier to not face that problem. But even in these communities, they are always going to be at Nest Labs and other communities. There's always going to be sometimes a little bit of groupthink. So you mm -hmm. do want to try again and join communities where there's enough psychological safety where you can call it out when you see it. And so, yeah, I would say choose your communities wisely feel comfortable leaving when you feel like it's not for you anymore. There are many, many communities. So if at some point you just feel like you've overgrown that community, it's not for you anymore, it's not serving you anymore, then you can, mm. you can join another one that's completely fine. And why not? It, again, it's not for everyone, but you could even create your own community and have those values in that community if that's something that's important to you. 
I think outgrowing community part is uh, pretty new and I'm glad that you mentioned it because often when it comes to joining a community, most people do it with good intent, of course, but I think somewhere they fall into the trap and there's there's like this lot of either less commitment or getting too attached to the community, but not being able to contribute or derive value out of it. So I think this overgrowing the community or trying to like understand why you don't fit in is also very important as much as you try and join a community to contribute. So that's like a very, very valid point that you mentioned. Yeah. And I, I like what you just said, because there's something to learn in that experience. Again, mm. it is kind of a transition space. If you decide to leave a community, it can be really interesting to ask yourself, is it because the community has changed or is it because you changed and mm. either way there, there's probably something interesting to learn here so I do like that idea of embedding a little bit of self-reflection in that process absolutely yeah and I think to a lot of them who are listening these days we're a part of a lot of communities so I like how we can reframe it to these two questions, whether I have grown apart or like I, I have really uh, changed my outcomes and my goals as opposed to where the community is leading towards or see, I think, yeah, not for everybody, but uh, I love the idea of forming your own community. In fact, I think in my city and in a couple of cities around, I've been oftentimes finding a lot of good communities around simple things like reading books, trying to paint together, have like silent retreats where you just come together and do something that you love and without a, without any sort of hard commitment, but just like hop in, hop out whenever you feel like. I think those forms of communities as well are very, very in terms of like getting your interests out there, but at the same time, not making you have complex thoughts and grow to the fear of commitment, but just start very small steps and then eventually grow into and build your own stuff. Yes, exactly. I love that. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. So, Anwar, I, I would love to pick your brain on something that has been going on in my mind for a long time. So as product people and as somebody who's formerly worked in tech and used a bunch of tools, I also know that you've been talking to a lot of founders and covering some of those products that are good tools for thought in your Nest Lab series. So uh, one thing that oftentimes comes to my thinking is how tools change according to the way consciousness has adapted for humans. So does a tool have to take a lot of time or when it claims it to be very productive, what's really happening with at a human's end? So how do you think product teams can bridge this gap and make tools for thought that are essentially keeping human consciousness in mind with especially changes like AI and a lot of other things coming into picture? I think it really depends on the context in which the tool is being used. You wouldn't design a tool for thought in the same way, for example, if it's designed for individual thinking. And again, we talked about it. I don't think there's really any such thing as properly individual thinking. But mm. for the sake of answering this question, work that happens when you're on your own and the conversations you're having are asynchronous with authors of, of books. You're reading books, you're consuming content, you're taking notes and you're doing the thinking kind of on your own within that container or 
truly collaborative tools for thought where the idea is to work as a team or collaborating even maybe with strangers on the internet. I've seen tools like these also. So these are very different and this is going to require a different type of design. Um, so for example, if you're just thinking on your own, you can define whatever thinking conventions that you want to use in your tool. You can say that those types of ideas will go under this hashtag and that you will add a dot when it means that it's just maybe the seed of an idea and that you will add maybe a hyphen when it's like growing into something a little bit bigger and you can have the folders that you want to use or no folders, etc. It's completely fine because you're the only one mm -hmm. who understand this creative mess that you're creating and working on. That's fine. As soon as you're more than one person, you need to have more rigid conventions as to where mm -hmm. things are, how they connect together, how they work together. You basically need to have patterns and language for thoughts. That already makes it infinitely more complicated and complex than if you were just thinking on your own. And this is assuming that the people you're going to do the thinking with are part of the same team. You have a way of communicating mm. together and agreeing on those conventions. And if you take it at the next level, those hyper collaborative mass thinking kind of tools where everyone can contribute ideas and everyone can connect them together. Again, how do you make it so that people who have a similar idea understand that they're talking about the same idea, that those two ideas are in the same you know, container connected together or two nodes that are in the same part of the graph, et cetera. So these are questions. I don't have the answers to these because if I did, I would know exactly how to build the perfect tools for thought. And there are obviously many, many very smart people working on this at different startups. But I think the best startups and best tools are very clear in their head as to mm -hmm. who they're serving, what kind of thinking they're trying to facilitate. And as much as I definitely imagine a future where those tools can be used for even augmented consciousness and way higher level of thinking, mm -hmm. I don't think we're there yet. And I think we need to get the fundamentals right, both in terms of architecture of those tools, but also obviously integrating them with AI, which is something that a lot of people are trying to do at the moment. How do we do that? At what level? How much of the thinking do we want AI to do for ourselves? How much of our own thinking do we want to add, inject into that? How do you merge the two to get something that is truly creative? Those are mm -hmm. really big questions. Again, I don't have the answers. <laughs> so I think it's it's very interesting. And product creators who are very clear as to what angle they're taking from which perspective they're approaching these questions are going to be the most successful ones right yeah and i think it's it's totally fine if we don't have these answers but i'm glad that some of these questions we raise as people working with you know creative folks around and people using these tools in and out and let's say for product people like me and a bunch of others who are building software products day in day out i think this is a question that I oftentimes combat myself as both a consumer and a product builder. So I'm like, oh, I have to build this tool and I have the audience in mind, but I'm also a consumer. And looking at these couple of things, I know, oh my God, this is not really working out because this is not the way a creative brain would work. So 
I'm glad that some of these questions are getting raised because when we ultimately expose ourselves to what you rightly said is a combination of our own thinking and generative AI and a lot of other stuff that is in store for us, I think we'll be able to make more conscious decisions and it'll only give to clearer paths forward. But uh, even if we don't have the answers, these questions are what form the first you know, pathway into getting those answers. So yeah, and yeah, thanks. Thanks for sharing some of those questions that you have in your mind. No, thank you for asking. Awesome. So I think one of the last things that I would want to discuss more about is how we as knowledge workers, for us, burnout and stress and also like consciously looking at mindfulness is, is very important. So adding on to this everyday burnout is also the pressure that comes with climatic conditions and societal conditions. We had COVID, we had all of these social pressures that we were talking about in terms of career journeys and so so I enjoyed reading this article that you wrote about how there are like two types of stresses which is distress and eustress and which is one of it is is actually good stress so can you talk to us about how to use this good stress which is the eustress to energize and um, keep folks driven forward yes so as you said there's two types of stress eustress and distress and eustress is the kind of almost productive pressure that you put on yourself to grow mm -hmm. and to challenge yourself, get out of your comfort zone, so to speak. So, for example, learning a new language, whether it's a, a language like Spanish or Italian or a new coding language, for example, that's a kind of eustress. Maybe practicing public speaking, if that's something you're not very comfortable with, that would be eustress, even though with all of these, obviously, it's all about balance. If you push yourself too fast, too hard, then you're going to go over that tipping point and it is going to become distress. So it's really fine about finding that sweet spot where mm. you feel stretched. You feel like it's, it's challenging. You're not quite comfortable, but you're mm. still excited. And so, yeah, other examples are maybe traveling to a new country that you've never mm. been to, maybe taking a, a, side, a, a job on the side, like as a freelancer or a consultant on a project you're excited about, but you don't, you don't feel like you know everything yet. Maybe a side project, helping one of your friends with their, their own project or startups, et cetera. So basically, mm. again, pushing yourself just enough that you feel like you're growing, but not so much that you feel like you're drowning in anxiety. That's you stress. Right. So exposing oneself to like newer environments and experiences. So yeah, that that's like exciting enough. Is that like a time that you know that you stress is actually very much uh, closely coming in lines with distress? Because I think there's one thing to go all in to the job that we're doing and give the whole hundred percent. And at times you find yourself in the middle of the sea stuck. And uh, though it's not like, you know, that, that of a disastrous situation, it's still early burnout or early signs of uh, getting burned out. And oftentimes it's very hard for us to figure out until we are fully in. So at what point in time do you think uh, that balance or the boundary should be drawn between eustress and distress? And are there like some signals that you think one should look out for? 
I'm glad you asked about signals because that's really all this is about. That balance is going to be very different from a person to another. And even within mm. the same person, depending on your context at the moment and depending on where you are in life and your experience and your mood, all of these factors are going to impact where that tipping point is between you stress and distress. So really the only thing that you can do is making sure that you have space to listen to those signals. And that can take many forms. For some people, it's journaling. That's personally what I use as a tool to really stay connected to those signals. Other people use meditation. It can also be just having a weekly check-in with a friend or a colleague, for example, just asking, mm. hey, how are you doing? Like, really, how are you doing? And having those candid conversations. But there's, so there's really many ways to do it. The only kind of dangerous decision that you can make in those cases is just plowing through and like trying to do as much as possible and ignoring the signals because this is where you end up having, you know, experiences of burnout or anxiety or, mm. or distress because you didn't listen to the signals. Very often, if you manage to listen to yourself, you can catch it early enough that it's not going too much of a bad, of a big deal. You can take a little break, maybe half a day, sometimes one day. Or maybe you can ask for help if there's something that is really stressing you out. But that's going to be a lot more easier to manage mm. if you still have the emotional and mental bandwidth to address it and to seek the help that you need. Right. So I think being more cognizant about what's happening around you and what's happening with you. And yeah, like taking, taking action steps from that. Yeah, that's, that's more practical. Yeah. So, Anlar, one of the last parting thoughts that I would love to have from you is you've helped a lot of companies and high-performing teams. You've worked as a consultant with them. You've advised them in terms of what are ways to inculcate this sort of psychological safety with individuals as well as with groups and communities. So, if you would like to say something to the listeners who are into early stage product building or entrepreneurs and builders, what would that be? Just keep on experimenting and learning. And if you're part of a team, you can do it together. Try new things as a team, reflect on it as a team and keep on improving together as a team. Awesome. Thank you so much, Anlar. It was so good to have you back in a yet another show, but this time I think digging more into your journey. And every time I talk to you, I think we discover a lot of great stories around Nest Labs and also the way that we as people think and using a lot of these psychological techniques to get better at what we do. So all the best with Nest Labs and yeah, thank you so much once again for uh, getting to share your journey with us. Thanks for having me. It's always great to chat with you. So thank you. Awesome. Mm -hmm.